Hello and welcome to another episode, edition, chapter, whatever of Conversations Beyond the Pew. And today I'm excited because I am talking to the great Sharon Moore Esquire. And (laughs) yeah, Uh, and you know, she's got that lawyer thing going on, but she's also got a whole lot of creativity. And so we're going to mash it up about surviving quarantine and living into the creativity. And Sharon, I know you are a poet. When did you start writing poetry? Uh, Well, actually, I started speaking poetry before I was really good at writing. I dictated poetry. Um, And I I like to say that poetry is my first language. Um, And I hold on to that mother tongue always. Um, and I enjoy it. Uh, in fact, the first poem that I ever had, yeah, published um, many, many years ago, I'm trying to think it was 1969 or 1970. Anyway, I was at Friends School in Detroit. It was a Quaker school that used to be down at, um, by Lafayette and St. Aubin. Um, and I was attending there and um, some, some incident happened um, of some, I, I can't even remember the impetus for the poem, but I was so upset. Um, I, I wrote, a, I, I dictated this poem to my third grade teacher at the time. Um, Ms. Kyriakopoulos, you know, wherever she is, thank you, because um, she, was, she was dope. Um, and I dictated this poem, and it got published in the school's literary, uh, literary paper, um, which Friends School at that time went from first grade all the way through 12th grade. So my piece was being published alongside of folks many, 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 many years older than me. Um, and I got a lot of praise for it. People were just like really astounded at the inside and the imagination and all of that. And I was just hooked from then on. Uh, I've been a writer. I have boxes and boxes full of notebooks and journals and stuff. Uh, one of the things I've been doing during this quarantine um, is going through different boxes, digging up stuff, figuring out, is it still useful? Do I still want this piece in my life? Or is it time to set it free or what to do? Um, but it's, you know, it's been very helpful. But this first poem, and, and I still have it because I carry it around with me all the time. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, the, this is the, the talisman that I carry around with me. Um, and so I'm just going to jump in and share this one with you yeah. all because this is the one that started, started me and has kept me going. Um, it's called Why Am I What I Am? Why am I what I am? Is it because I'm Black or is it because I'm a girl? Is it because of something inside of me 
Or is it because of something outside of me? Because I have so many questions and I can't tell myself the answers. And because without the answers, I'm lost on a cloud in space. And that's nowhere for me. There are more things inside of me, but they can't come out to show the world what I am. I need the answers to my questions. So tell me, please. Nice. Wow. <laughs> Third grade. No wonder everybody was like, whoa, did that just come out? Wow. And I can see why you carry that around. I mean, even right during quarantine, I'm thinking, wow, like, aren't we all feeling something like that? Absolutely. Um, it, so, it, 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 was, it, it was just there. It came out and I'm like so grateful for it. Well, and how have you found poetry during, like, do you generally write during happy periods or like during periods where things are falling apart or like just all the time? Like, it doesn't matter. I used to be more disciplined about writing uh, years ago when the internet was configured in a different way. I belonged to um, this group. And we had a thread called the nine word poetry. And somebody would post every day, just nine random words. And then folks would create poetry from those random words. And you know, it could be soup to nuts, let's just say. Mm -hmm. um, and so I used to make it a practice that I would participate in the nine word poetry at least five out of seven days of the week. Oh, so wow. just as a discipline to do it, you know, it's, it's like with anything. I mean, you work out regularly, you know, I, I, I do yoga, I have a stationary bike, I do other stuff. So it's like, if you want to keep those muscles engaged, or if you just want to stay loose and flexible, mm -hmm. you have to keep doing it. You have to keep working the muscles. You have to keep stuff you know in rhythm to keep it going and so i would do that and i was pretty disciplined about that from i would say about oh 97 until about 2007 so for about 10 years i was pretty dedicated to the nine word poetry group mm -hmm. um, but then in 2007 a lot of things shifted in my life a lot of the stability that I had had up until that point just got sucked out of my life. I mean, that was like the first big economic crisis I remember um, adulting in. And um, so a lot of things got sucked out from my life and the creativity just went away. I won't say it went away. I think I shoved it away. Anxiety ruled and it just became very, very difficult to write. And so I wasn't dedicated to the nine word, you know, nine word group anymore. And, um, and so I was writing off and on, like, usually when something just I needed to vent or I just was feeling something. Um, and I would keep writing. I mean, I keep notebooks, every purse, every bag, every everything I have, there's a notebook somewhere. Um, and I will jot down words and phrases that I hear um, and or something that just catches me. And, and 
then put it into something later on. So how do you feel? So that happened with the, the Great Recession. It kind of knocked you around creativity-wise, but yet you still kept writing, just not maybe as as much. But do you find it different going through this crisis? Do you have a different relationship now with the creativity, with the writing? I do, because with this this set of circumstances, I am in a very... Um, I'm in a very stable environment. I, you know, I, I, I have a great place to live. I mean, the house I live in is my house, so it's not going anywhere unless the wind blows it down, which <laughs> the other night I had to, I could not sleep because I was just having all these really weird, like, oh, I think the roof is coming off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other night it was pretty bad in this area. <laughs> Um, so I, so this crisis, it's been a lot more looking at other folks and using my voice in a more outward way. It's back in 2007, it was a lot about me and what I was going through and what I was trying to process and what I was trying to figure out for myself this time around. I find myself, and, and I will say in the past few years also, like probably since 2013, a lot more of my writing has been focused on telling stories of other people, telling stories of folks that may not get noticed mm. uh, and wanting to find a way to elevate them. Um, I I have a lot of different names. I've written under, I should say, I've written under a lot of different names uh, just because the mood strikes me. And I like playing around with, you know, my identity and having different parts of my identity and also just messing with people. So, you know, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. That's fun. So if you take my first name, Sharon, if you spell it backwards, it becomes Nora S. And so for a while I wrote, as Nora S, but I would do it lowercase n, capital S. So it was still Sharon. Just yeah. Nice. Um, and uh, and I and then also I write under a name Prudence Juris because I am a lawyer. Um, I often find that there are lots of tie-ins when it comes to telling stories of people. I think about telling stories in court. I think about telling stories in pleadings or things I'm writing to judges or other decision makers. And mm -hmm. so I don't want to ignore that I have that tool in my kit. Yeah. Uh, so I like to bring it in. And so going the, under the name Prudence Juris, people don't always get the pun, which again is a fun part about writing. You can write on a lot of different levels and some folks will get it and others won't, but it still will flow. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I've, I've enjoyed even more and more um, as I study more words and increase the 
the volume on what I'm saying or who I'm saying it to. This idea that you mentioned about how you now use your voice really to tell the stories for other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, during this time of weirdness and everything's screwed up and we're all like trying to figure out how to help each other, or at least some of us are trying to figure out how to help each other. That's a very interesting thing of how do you use your voice? Because we can't necessarily be in the same room as somebody else. Um, or be near, but how are we using our voices to lift people up? Well, as a wordsmith or also, oh, one other label I go by sometimes is QOW or Quo, Queen mm -hmm. of Words. Nice. Uh, so I feel that as, as a Queen of Words, I have a platform and I have audience that I can reach. and. Maybe I'm reaching them with a written word, or maybe I'm reaching them with something that's spoken. But there are ways to reach people, and the technology that is available that you can do from a closet yeah. is phenomenal. So to, if you have the skills, if you have the desire, there is almost nothing that stops you from getting it out there. I can write. Now, will everyone read what I write? Probably not, but that's okay. That's not the point of it. You put it out into the stream and the energy from what you say, because what we say, and I, I wrote this, it's one piece I was going to talk about today, but anyway, yeah. Um, because there's a poem by Mother Teresa that is up in my parents' house, and I meant to make a copy of it. Anyway, but it talks about thoughts becoming things. I mean, mm. everything that exists in our lives today, it all began as a thought. And it carried with it a vibration and a level of energy and intensity. And for some people, it was really powerful and really noisy, and they had to do something to you know, get that intensity and noise to calm down. And for other folks, it's just a quiet little hum in the back. So when I think about, okay, something comes to me as a thought, it then turns into an energy that's, that's churning up inside of me. I then turn around and take that same energy, that same vibration, if I speak it out, Literally, the waves are going out into the atmosphere. They are going out and they are making a difference. They are changing something for someone. Because you've, we've all had conversations where just the words or the way somebody talked to us either lifted us up or crushed us. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to be, and they didn't have to be physically close to us. And yeah. we didn't necessarily have to have an intense physical relationship. I mean, I've been on the phone with credit card companies and had people on the other end crying because of things I've said to them, good things, but sometimes bad things. And I've had to apologize for those, but we have that power. And I think too often it's easy and it's comforting to say, well, you know, hey, I can't, you know, I can't get next to anybody or I don't know any powerful people. So what can I say or what can I do? Or, and that's a way of copping out. That's a way of being able to hide. That's a way of being able to take 
what was given to you as an idea, as a promise, mm. and just shoving it down. Um, Preach. It, it, that totally preaches. <laughs> there's a saying, there's a saying that, that Denzel Washington, greatest actor in the world, um, you should get that reference. Yeah, yes, I totally. Okay. It's from the, the W. Camus Bell book. But anyway, um, Denzel Washington said in a commencement speech that I listen to this commencement speech very often. Sometimes it is the first thing I listen to some mornings when I can't get up. But one of the things that he says in this speech is he says that anything good that you have inside of you, any, any thought or idea, anything good that is in you to do is God's promise to you sent in advance to tell you that it's already yours. So if you have a thought of, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna build an ice cream stand or, um, you know, my idea recently has been, I'm going to build benches out of uh, pallet wood for the folks who sit on the corners by my house because I'm watching them every day because I'm here. Mm -hmm. But anything, any idea, that inspiration, that thing that is put into your spirit that is good is God's promise to you that it's yours. So you don't have to worry about, oh, I don't know if I'm going to. No, that's the promise. Because it's in you, because it's there, that feeling, that, that, that insight, it's yours. So just mm -hmm. go forth. And, and oftentimes, you know, we'll play games and, and, and at, at different sort of um, writing workshops. You know, people throw out a question and then you just have to write about it. And they'll say, okay, here's the question. What would you do if you could not fail? Go. And then you just start turning on what those things are. And, yeah. and that comes back to me. It's like that insight to you is God's promise. You're not going to fail. It's yours already. So go for it. Go forward with it. And so coming back to what you asked originally about writing and about having an audience, it's like if it's in me, it's mm -hmm. like, okay, boom, it's, it's not going to fail. I don't know where it's intended to land. Okay. I don't know if it's intended for one person, for a small audience, for a huge audience, I don't know. But what I do know is that if I don't get it out and I don't do what I can to push it out, then I'm the one who's screwed up. I'm the one who's squashed a promise from God. Mm. And I do not want to leave this life saying, yeah, God, I know you gave me that promise and you told me it was all good. And I kind of squashed it. Yeah, my bad. My bad, dog. Right. But we good. <laughs> well, it is that that is a profound sense, not only of that God has placed good within you, which I think, you know, there are many definitions of God, but, you know, everything good comes from God. Uh, is one uh, is the ultimate good, uh, but it it's also that sense that it's not for ours to just hold on to and keep that it's it's ours to share. Um, when I was 
I made that, I had that realization in divinity school. I, I, I don't even know why, what caused me to think of it, but I realized that the education I was receiving, um, yes, it, it benefited me and it gave me something, but that really its ultimate pur purpose was to be shared with, with everybody else, that it wasn't mine to keep. Um, yeah. And it, it's kind of interesting to think about that in, in terms of today, of what good is in us and do we hold on to it or are we sharing it, especially in a time of despair and anxiousness and, and people don't know what's going to happen. How are we sharing the good that's within us in whatever ways that we can? Absolutely. And I think I'm, you're familiar with Brene Brown, right? I love Brene Brown. I have everything by Brene Brown. She has a podcast now. Love Brene. Yes. I've listened. Oftentimes I go to sleep listening to her podcast because um, they're just really cool things to like. And I have a brain that sometimes won't shut off. So mm -hmm. if I can feed it something that's helpful and good, it's, it, 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 it works for everyone. And one of the things that stands out from her very first TED Talk mm -hmm. is this whole idea that half the time we hold on to this stuff because of, of you know, shame, blame, guilt. And, and that what it requires is that we have to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And um, anytime, well, my experience, anytime I've been to a poetry slam, which is like one of my favorite things to attend and participate in, yeah. the first poet is always referred to as um, the sacrificial poet. Mm. Because we recognize that it takes a whole lot of something, like mm -hmm. fortitude, tenacity, guts, chutzpah, hubris, arrogance, to take yourself from the anonymity of a crowd and then single yourself out on a stage and then single yourself out even further by saying, I'm offering you my words. Yeah. and a vision and so you are really really naked on that stage and so you are making a sacrifice for the good of all because you're kind of creating the space and I love whenever I've hosted poetry slams to be very very appreciative of anyone who is willing to be that sacrificial poet because it is an incredible space that they create um, being there. And that nakedness, and that's part of when we're sharing our words. And, and, and you know, I think preachers do it with, with surprising um, ease, mm -hmm. because I'm sure that what you read speaks to you and, about you your life as well as you're speaking to other folks and so kind of having that simultaneous dialogue of what's coming into you and then what you're giving out to other folks can be a little sheer um yeah from time to time and to then say okay i'm gonna do this every week 
after week. Um, and some weeks it's probably easier because you might have a few crib notes from before. <laughs> Uh, sometimes it's easier depending on the passage of scripture and what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can imagine that, but that's a lot of the way it is for anyone who, who writes and then shares writing of their own, their own original work, even if it's started by the genesis of it comes from someplace else. Um, Recently, I've been working on a piece which is turning into an epic poem. I mean, I'm going to give, you know, Dante a run this money. Wow. Um, it's, but it just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's based on, it, it's actually based on the book of Daniel. Okay. Um, I got kind of sent there um, in one of, like, in a, in a dream. So it's very, like, prophetic that, oh, okay, we're at, I had this dream and this happened and now I got sent to the book of Daniel. And so I was reading the book of Daniel. I was like, I, I know a little bit. I'm like, Daniel and the lion's den. I know that story, but what else? And it is just, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, this is just totally rocking my world. Um, because so much of what's in there looks like, it came from the front page of any newspaper. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's not in this like scary, like it's, you know, the world is ending kind of way. It's hitting me in this, oh, righteous kind of, you know, God is just dope. I mean, <laughs> it's like the inspiration and the translation is just, it's wow. This is really, really cool. And so um, that's where the inspiration for that stuff is coming from. So by no means is the, is the origin, you know, my own original thought, but it is my own interpretation of how is that fitting? How is that feeling? How does that sit with me in my experience of this life? And what can I do or make of it to spread this message of, hey, let's get, you know, let's get real. Let's get focused. What's, what's the real thing that we need to focus on in this time of crisis? Because it is a literal crisis on all fronts. There are so many people that are suffering right. and trying to figure out and embrace that um, one of the things I love, um, I oftentimes will research words and see what they look like in other languages. And in Japanese, the characters for crisis are danger and opportunity combined. Oh, interesting. And when you think of that, and, and in a language that is pictorial in nature, and you're thinking, okay, the way they would describe crisis is a picture of something dangerous, but an opportunity. You're like, wow. Now that opens up a whole nother realm of ways to approach. What can we do? What can I say? You know, what can I reach with this particular tool, this particular gift that I have? Um, and it, it's really helpful for me because it 
reminds me that everything I write isn't going to be, you know, the, the lit phrase, but it's going to get me to the next one and to the next one and to the next one. And at some point I'm going to catch that rhythm and it just will click and things will fit together. Um, well, and even as, you know, speaking about Daniel, the, the book of Daniel is set, the setting of that is in exile and in pure struggle of the Israelite people being in exile in Babylon. And so I can only imagine, right, we are in the middle of feeling like we are exiled from our lives and that we are in the midst of struggle and that this sense of crisis of danger and being dangerous and opportunity all mashed into one and, and how we kind of go forward. I mean, that's finding that rhythm, just like you were talking about, like you begin to find a rhythm of dealing with the struggle. And sometimes it gets really creative. And sometimes we're like, Oh, I probably need to stop right here and take a different path. Uh, But it's, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. It's a lot about recognizing what's going on. And sometimes it, and that feeds back into sometimes I will start writing something and I will look at it two or three days later and go, you are really tired when you wrote this because it makes not a whit bit of sense. Scrap it. <laughs> yeah. You have to, you know, sort of go through it and try some things to see, try and fail, try and fail, see if it works. Um, and you will hit upon stuff. Because I, I feel like there is a level of exile here. Because living in Detroit, which is, I mean, Michigan is one of the top three states in the United States that is feeling this epidemic. Wayne County is like one of the top county in the state of Michigan. Wow. Detroit is the top city. I mean, it's like, no. You couldn't be any closer to the bullseye than we are. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. less than five miles from Henry Ford Hospital. So it's, it's right. like there is a, a palpable urgency to the stuff that's going on. I mean, and I have some neighbors who just aren't leaving their houses, period. Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, I venture out into the world and I, you know, I do it in a safe, in a very calculated manner, Um, but they won't even, you know, one neighbor will not even allow her husband to go walk their dog around the corner. Um, She's just that freaked out. I mean, they have a young, they have a young child, but, but I understand that should something happen to him, that shifts their world drastically so the cost of um you know having to figure out other ways for violet to get walked is worth it and i can appreciate that and i can respect that totally i have the luxury of living alone um i have my own law practice and we're in the building that we're in is um is basically empty so i can go to my office and not interact with anyone i can yeah. be at home and interact with no one go to work and interact with no one 
Um, the only thing, the only time I really take a big risk is if I go to the post office to get our mail because they don't deliver anymore, um, or if I go like to the grocery store. And both instances, I practice. Um, but it's that mentality, and and actually, that's something else that's been feeding this time period of writing is my memories of life um, in the 80s AIDS crisis. Because I was in school, I was at Howard University in Washington, DC. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a historically black college. And I mean, the old saying that has shown up again, it's like when, Mer- when, when America in general gets a cold, black America gets pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And so that was very much the AIDS crisis uh, and, and what I experienced on campus and around campus. And I remember that, that tension that was always out there and how we had to, you know, glove up and gown up to go see friends and the tangible fear of walking into a room and you're seeing someone that you know is dying. Mm-hmm. There's no question about it. And the hesitation and, 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 you know, I felt guilty about it for a long, long time. The hesitation before I reached over, even though I am gowned up, gloved up, you know, and with gloved hands to reach over and touch my friend to just say, Hey, you're loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I was like, okay, but if I do that, you know, can I get it? Will I get it? What if, what if I get it? Would it have been because of that touch or would it have become, you know, all that craziness that goes on in your head. And so, you know, I think about that now with the level of restrictions that people have and are, are experiencing that that lack of touch that we have um i mean it's that's going to be a challenge for us because we know that human beings need touch we need that and so i pray that what will happen is that we'll have a reverence around touch that when we shake hands or even embrace someone, there will be a significance in that embrace that maybe fell off a little bit. It's like the risk that we're taking to be that close signifies the depth of the connection or the depth of connection I want to have. Yeah. And how how are we how are we facilitating that connection right that it's not right not only are we trying to facilitate connection when we can't hug or or shake hands but how are we facilitating that connection on all levels and and we've got to be creative about it these days um because uh once we start to lose the connection uh, people seem to start to lose themselves. Uh, it's so, the, yeah. the begin of othering. And when, as soon as you can other someone, you can 
treat them like a rock mm. and or you know and and be dismissive of them and unfortunately i think that's some of what's happening with a lot of folks in political power they're mm. making calculations because we're ticks on a piece of paper or numbers and they're saying, well, the numbers here and the numbers there, we have to get these numbers up higher. So we'll have to sacrifice some of those numbers there and that'll make these numbers better. Right. And that's not, we're not numbers. We are people, we are human beings and we have to keep finding the humanness in one another. And, and that's what some of my late some of my recent writing is about is to find ways to remind us that we have to see the humanity in each other whoever that other person is yeah because once we are able to dismiss the humanity in someone else that is the step that that's the step before we're able to dismiss them physically. Yeah. Is there, um, I kind of asked this of everybody, uh, but what piece of wisdom are you living by, especially right now? What piece of wisdom am I living by? Wow. Um, well, there's a lot of them. Like I said, I'm living, I, I live by that, that dental Washington, um, commencement speech, I do, because it's, it's called Put God First. Um, and it's just, it's really impactful. Um, and the other piece of wisdom I live by is, is seeking every day to be able to articulate things for which I am grateful. Um, never, ever, ever wanting to dismiss that humility of saying, hey, I am grateful for this, or I am grateful for that. Um, well, I promise that uh, we will have more conversations because we, we have so much more to talk about and we have more poetry to listen to. Uh, <laughs> do you want to send us off with one more piece of poetry? Um, I am. I'm going to send you off with the poem that we were going to do because I feel like, wow, it is very appropriate for now. It's an appropriate reminder, I think. Um, so I mean, it's the poem that we were going to do at that event. And I, honestly, I think that's when I had my bout of COVID was back then. Um, so um, this was a poem that I wrote for a friends and family dinner, um, and the um, the theme of the dinner was Welcome Neighbor, so kind of, I guess, the working title of this poem. Let me reach my neighbor so we know we are never alone. Smile, a nod, or a hug, bringing us home. Have mercy, show kindness, give love. This Jesus commands. Human gestures, tools given, movement of face, body, and hand. Nonverbal communications, visible body actions, expressing situations, power, pride, sometimes fear packed in. 
Gestures telling stories allow each feeling's thoughts to share. A struggle, a journey, the joy of shedding a burden or care. This universal language from which we all evolved, the origin of contempt, hostility to approval, affection resolved. God in us, outstretched arms, beckoning hands, broad smile. Grace, gifted, never earned, free all the while. God's purpose, work in each life. Accept my hand, new friend. Please open up and let it in. This is Jesus' light. Does it burn in me bright? Then I've accomplished my mission, supreme church business. Keep that fire burning. Welcome, neighbor. We are God's children home returning. Very nice. I love that poem. And hopefully we'll get to do that with the drum one of Absolutely. these nights. Uh, I, I, I just as a side, I discovered this um, app that, what is it called? Anyway, I discovered an app that you can like make your own beats. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> it's called Groove Pad. They, aren't, they don't have anything. They have one beat that's sort of like a conga, but it's still very electronic sounding. So, um, so getting all the more creative. Well, to all those uh, who've been listening, I hope you've enjoyed. I hope you feel that you can survive this quarantine and be creative all at the same time. And uh, let the wisdom and goodness surround and be through you. Have a good one.